you are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the Emmy-nominated music team behind The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Thomas Miser, Curtis Moore, and Robert Erdang. You know what's great about me? It's when I'm me. Every single show, I'm going to say exactly what's on my mind. Mrs. Maisel, time to start the show. I think it's time to start the show. And this is my moment. Mrs. Maisel. Once in a lifetime. Welcome everyone to the Next Best Picture podcast where we are talking with the Emmy nominated music team behind the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. We have Robin Erdang, Curtis Moore, and Mr. Thomas Miser. <laughs> That's a lot of M's. That's a it lot is. of M's there. <laughs> How are you all? We're great, good. Great. I'm happy to be here. Very happy to be here. Fantastic. So my first question for you guys, for those of our listeners who may not have any familiarity with a music department on a TV show is how does this relationship between the three of you or the Robin and the team of Tom and Curtis, how does that work exactly? What's well, the setup? Like? To be honest, it's the first time I've ever met these two people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, no, oh my gosh. <laughs> It, I mean, I mean, Robin. I think you should start because it, it really all starts with you. Well, it really all started with Amy, who found and loves you both from theater, um, who introduced the rest of the mar- marvelous Mrs. Maisel team to us. And Tom and Curtis write fabulous songs, and I'm the one to give them all the intel. So before they really know anything that's going on, I'll sneak them some little texts of. Hey, you're going to be writing a song for us in a bit minute. Start thinking. And they'll say, what's it about? And I'll say, I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> a very um, difficult task. <laughs> exactly. Then I'm out of it. No, what? No, Tom. Go ahead, Tom. She's underselling herself massively uh, because so much of the musical voice of the show comes from Robin. And also a lot of the, the I think people don't understand. I'm even learning about what music supervisors do. There's so much. Uh, handling of talent, handling of contracts, handling of all kinds of ins and outs of the music business that she has to deal with just to make sure the songs that maybe Amy and Dan want or that she suggested end up on the show. And she is a master of making it look like it's easy and we're all here laughing because we enjoy being around her. But she's 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 the one pulling those strings. Exactly. And also... <laughs> no, but also you should know that, you know, Maisel's different than than many shows and that there isn't a... A composer. There's no underscore written. Well, I mean, not really written for the show. It's all um, needle drops. And you know, and between Rob and Amy and Dan, like they they you know come up with songs they want to use. 
but it just means there's that much more pressure on Robin to sort of pull all that together because that is the score to Maisel. It's part of what makes it so fantastic is that you've got all these fabulous songs that some we know and some really great gems that I've never heard that I'm like, where did you find this amazing song? You know, and there's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a real, um, it's a different animal, I think, than you normally see. And, and that comes with its own series of complications and challenges because sometimes the needle drop or the song that, that is discovered or wants to be used isn't the right length. And so the music team has to, and, you know, headed by Robin has to figure out how they're going to, you know, elongate that or make it, you know, make it fit the the scene or the cut that's, that's there. And, um, and that takes a lot of, a lot of surgery and some, a lot of behind the scenes work to make it seem, which I feel as effortless as it is, you know, as Maisel feels in that music department. Well, and then we have Annette Kudrick, who is our editor, who is probably the most brilliant music editor I've ever worked with, um, who has everything, makes it work seamlessly. And Tom, you were telling a story, I think it was you, or yeah. it was Tom telling a story the other day about how she changed the order of one of your songs. Tell us, because mm-hmm. I don't... Yeah, in the first episode that we had songs in, Bottle of Pop, one of the, the second song we had, she had to, because of the, the episode and the, the coverage they had of the singers, they didn't have the right coverage, so they had to flip and use parts of the song twice. And I was watching the episode and I didn't realize it. I wrote the song and she did such an amazing cut of it how she put it together that it it took me a second time that I went, wait, wait, was that the second verse again? <laughs> it was it was amazing because the team all the way down and you have to, if you're going to talk about Annette, you also have to talk about Stuart Lerman, who's the music producer. And he is the guy in the studio that's making us all sound so good. And he's calm and cool and collected. And yeah, man, anything you want. Like, I got you. I got you back. He's like, right? And I, you know, for, for all the stress and craziness we have to go through, he just never, never breaks a sweat. He is so chill and it's such a pleasure to have him in the studio with us. I mean, all of a sudden it's like record their song live on set. And Stuart's like, okay, let's go roll. You know, it's, it's, um, and then Matt Shapiro is our uh, producer who, literally is our rock and just puts everything together. He's like Amy and Dan's ears. So he's, he's in New York. He's the producer. He, he, he certainly helps me and you guys. And he's, he's pretty amazing. Yeah. He's great. So all those people should be here with us. Doesn't let anything slip by. Nothing. Yeah, I guess to answer your question is (laughs) we're only one tiny part of the music team. There's so many people that, that are on the show that make it what it is. You know, it's, it's an amazing group of people. And I think everybody really enjoys, uh, you know, raising the bar. Every time we do something, we try to do it bigger and different and more marvelous and ridiculous than we did it the last time, which is a real, real fun room to be a group to be part of. Yeah. I think the, the key thing that uh, use of their Curtis was it, it feels like effortless, uh, everything, the way that everything fits together with this show always. Um, and that's really, really incredible. And again, like you said, there's very little, if any, a, original score. There's no underscoring. It's all soundtrack. It's all pre-existing songs or songs that are written, um, which leads me to my next question, which is how do you determine when you want to use a, an actual song from the period or from some point in between the period and the present day versus when you want to have these guys write an original number. 
I think this is the perfect answer for that would be if you both spoke about um, your Emmy nominated song. <laughs> Seamless well, transition. Nicely done. Thank well, you. Well, it's true. It's like, how do you know? You said, Amy, why, why aren't we just using Harry Belafonte's song? And instead she's like, no, you're writing a song. And here came maybe Monica. So I yeah, think it's. Exactly. I think to take one quick step back, normally we, you know, it, it is a lot of source songs, but in, in the case of like Shy Baldwin, that made sense because he was a fictional character. So he had fictional songs that, that we got to write for him and, and sort of create this, this, you know, new pop star from that era. And, you know, that, that's how that all came about because that's the kind of stuff that needed to be there, you know, and then in this next season and season and season four, you know, the scope just expanded because we ended up writing a music theater number. We ended up writing some burlesque songs. You know, it was it was all that sort of ended up being there. But the the most challenging one was what Tom was about to talk about, which is maybe Monica. Yeah, I think what it comes down to is it's about story. And there's just certain times where they need something really specific to tell us to help tell the story. And they, there's no there's no existing song that's going to get them everything they need. So with Belafonte, we knew that we had to. Amy called us up and said, "Hey, we've got you've got to write a song that Harry's going to sing at Shy's wedding reception," and that's all we knew. And we started, and we got really frustrated because we were writing all these songs and we'd listened to a lot, and we just kept hitting this wall of exactly that question: Why are we writing a song? He has so many incredible, iconic songs. Why not let the actor do one of those? And that would be a blast. And then Amy, after she'd listened to our attempts, and we were frustrated. She gave us a great note, which was, no, he's he's doing a toast. It's like a best man getting up at a wedding. He's doing a toast for Shy and Monica. And so he's written something specifically for the night. And suddenly, ah, that's why we're needed. Because it's story. It's story driven. It's something right. that only it doesn't exist in the world. So we have to sort of work at it and use what we know from the Belafonte catalog. But it's got to be something fresh and loose and fit this moment and tell us about what's happening. Well, a lot of times um, in this, we get the outline probably about a couple of weeks before we start to shoot. Um, <laughs> we get the script the night before the read through. So through the outline, I go through the outline and, and everybody kind of goes through the outline and sees where there's music and song plays here or so-and-so is playing piano or whatever it is. And then I, I remember in one episode, I don't remember which one, where there was a piano player and it said playing some song and I looked up the song. I said, Oh, Amy scripted in a song title. And I looked it up and I cleared it. It wasn't planned to be a song. She made that title up. So it was just kind of crazy, but I was like, Oh, I guess I didn't have to find the clearance for that. It was a tough song to find. There was one person that's ever done it. And I don't ask her. I just assume that that was what was happening. But most of the time in the outline, it, it if it's a band, we know we're going to either find an, uh, a song and have them record it. Um, by this time, we kind of I kind of know what Amy's looking for, what Dan's looking for. We know what you play at the Gaslight. We know what it's performed at Joel's Club. We we kind of it's sort of it's 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 a machine in some way, although it's a machine that always kind of breaks and comes back together again because it's it's never works completely <laughs> as we need it to. <laughs> but um, so things are scripted and usually we're aware at that point, oh, this is, I think this is going to be a Tom and Curtis song. And that's when I'll give them a hint and say, hey, I think you're going to be writing something. It really does. It's it's what Tom says. It tells a story. I mean, the music tells a story. It's, it's, it's an entire character of the, the show. show. The hardest part, though, is the trick of it is, 
And the, the, what I find is the biggest challenge for us, but the most gratifying is that we have to tell story, but not stand out. We, we exactly. can't let the song, you shouldn't know that this, this is something we wrote. This should be something that you watch the episode and think it's another song from the air. And that's the trick is walking this fine line of, it's something new, it's specific for the episode, but it should feel just like that Doris Day song you heard two up, you know, two minutes before. And that's that's the the fine line. We always joke that we have to tell our parents when we have a song in the episodes, which ones? Because <laughs> they never know. They're like, I don't know which one was yours. And that's a great compliment, even if our egos take a little hit. Well, it's a great compliment when Harry Belafonte's company called me up, their publisher, and said, we have all their music, but I can't find this song on my on my list of music. And I went, <laughs> it wasn't yours. It was written literally like they were like, we have, if you want something else. And I was like, it was written for the show. She's like, oh, my God. You Yay. Know? That was like the biggest compliment <laughs> I heard, like to give to you. I was so excited to tell you guys, you know. Yeah, but, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was that top topped it, I think. Um, and actually, this all leads me to sort of my next question, which is, you know, like the songs that you all that you guys specifically had to write for this season. I mean, there are a lot of performances. You mentioned the Burlesque Club. There is the musical. What that Abe has to review and gets sort of shunned by the community and then there's shy baldwin's wedding where there are i think two original songs right and they do all fit so seamlessly with all these other songs that we hear throughout the series what on earth did your inspiration list for this (laughs) season look like (laughs) i mean it is true i mean you you nailed it i mean that's one of the things we do is we set up a playlist you know we we set up playlists of of songs to listen to you know to get us into the world that we're working on because we want it to feel you know authentic as we've said so we'll we'll go back and forth and just throw a big itunes list together and throw a whole bunch of songs in there and you know for the musical we were throwing tons of rogers and hammerstein and we were throwing you know just a lot of really fun stuff in there and and we you know because we we never want to feel like we're parodying a song or you know we we want to write what we would write if we were writing at the Brill building in, in in the late 50s or early 60s or if we were writing a musical in the 50s you know so that we by immersing ourselves as much as possible we can then go away from all that and start writing because we're like bleeding these songs out of our pores you know what i mean at that point and 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 it, because it happens so fast we just really do try to immerse ourselves like for a solid you know, whatever, we only have like, we only have minutes to do this stuff. So like a few days, we'll like just jam pack our brains full of this stuff. You know, and also a lot of it is in our DNA a little bit, because these are the songs and shows that our parents listen to. So we grew up listening to all this stuff. Tom's from Detroit. So that's, you know, some of the stuff for Shy and, you know, and Harry Belafonte. There's a Motown vibe that's just um, part of how we grew up you know, and, and listening to some of that stuff. So that, you know, that's basically how we, how we get ourselves to that place. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Exactly. 
life sucks as a grown up. All right, I think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> this year, though, unfortunately, there was a lot of stripper music to listen to. So. <laughs> Our, our iTunes playlists are a little raunchy. I know our, the the AI of iTunes is now like you may also enjoy. I'm like, will I? <laughs> no, I'm not sure I need that. Um, <laughs> I bought a bunch of strip albums. I don't know when I was I was at like a, a one of those vintage stores and they had these records and I was like, oh look, it's the last problems. season coming up. <laughs> We're all going to need a job soon, so maybe <laughs> stripper music. Yeah. But, really, but how do you yeah, find stripper music from the 1950s and 60s? We didn't actually have to find that much because Tom and Curtis wrote a lot of it. I've had it in well, the past. You know, there, there were a couple and, and there's just old strip music and you kind of look it up and you research and some of, I can't say I know any of it because I'm missing saying something like that. No, um, <laughs> research. If I don't know it, knowing where to go. I've never, I don't think I've told you, Robin, my, I found in my dad's record collection, uh, it was titled like stripper songs of the 1950s in his <laughs> record collection. When I was like 10, it was really like stuff. So I actually used to listen to that album. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. So it's, it's sort of full circle now that I get to. <laughs> and I probably have it in my record collection now. <laughs> he says he doesn't have it anymore. I asked. No, I, I think I bought it. Wow. Good. <laughs> mean i mean it really was you know writing those songs was such a joy too because we we really did step away from your your standard stuff what was what we were given such great uh notes from uh from amy and dan and robin about you know because what's happening is rachel you know mrs mazel is getting the group to get better and better and better so they're doing more and more interesting things so like you know the first few times we see it we get some great arrangements of some tunes that are just very typical of what you think you're going to hear. But then as we kept going, we started doing bubbles. We started doing the, you know, the sky rise and even some of the stuff that we wrote that's in the background, you're not even seeing. We really were thinking like way outside the box. We're like, okay, now it's a Henry Mancini tune, even though like, you know, it's a couple of years earlier and you know, now we're going to write the, you know, it was really fun to kind of think about how these songs could be very, very drastically different. And I think that's partly also what they were doing with the choreography and with the staging. It really let us, you know, go in a different direction. And that ultimately was just a really fun challenge for us and a fun world box to work in that was different than obviously writing the Harry Belafonte and the Shy Baldwin songs. And also we have choreography to all of this and we have, they have no time. I mean, it's like back and forth notes really quickly, changes, record, get it to the choreographer. So she has it, changes and have to, it, it's, in, it's really an insane process. Like, how do you, how do we do this? I know. <laughs> you know, I also have to say that's that's people don't realize too. We really almost always, I would say probably 80% of everything we do is all recorded before we 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 film. So mm-hmm. we don't really do we, there's obviously a lot of things we do in post and stuff, but but really we get the full arrangement, the song, the performance, everything is done and really thought through. And of course, it can all change once we get on set. But we do get everything sort of as 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 much of it as we can get done, we get done. And it's really helpful. I think it's helpful for, for Amy and Dan. It's helpful for the performers. It's certainly helpful for us to have everything sort of in in the box a little bit, you know, and, uh, you know ready to go, you know, before we get we get on set. Well, you also have musicians that have to be playing properly and well, look like they're playing properly. 
Yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's I love that Robin about the show. You know, one of the things that that is so amazing about Maisel is that they uh, the whole team takes the music so seriously, and there's so much live performance. So a lot of time is spent not just obviously the singers lip syncing, but also all the instruments in the background are playing exactly what the arrangement is, is you're seeing and hearing. We're re, you know they're they're very very specific about making sure that we're seeing the exact, and a lot of times it's the exact same musicians that were just playing in the studio a week before are now in costume on set, you know, and even if they're With not. their hair cut and shaved, yeah, clean exactly. shaven. Their hairs are all cut, <laughs> their faces are shaved, and, or they're wearing a wig, you know, I mean, it, it's really amazing to watch watch it all come together. And, and that is part of what makes, I think, you know, even the, that makes the music that much more heightened. It makes it land that, that much more powerfully and, 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 and that much more entertainingly. Well, I remember one one season where we were all on set and Tom was watching Shy's lip sync. I was watching the girls lip sync. Stuart was watching the band. You were, you know, it was, we were all, all eyes on somebody different so that we could make sure everybody was in sync and, and proper. And literally I would have to stop and say one of the singers was off and we would, I'd have to go and tell somebody and they'd have to fix it, you know, redo it or the lyric was wrong or, but it's it's almost like see like I so many people don't know that Shy Baldwin doesn't sing. I mean, right. that we have a, a singer for him, yep. Darius Tahaz. Yeah. I mean, they know it now. It's been so many seasons, but they didn't the first season. Yeah, and I mean, the first time I saw him see in see, season two, I was like, wait, I didn't know he sang. That sounds very much like my friend. Oh my god! And it was Darius. I was like, wait, but I had no idea. It's done so well. They they spend um, time in the studio together, so. When when Darius is recording for Shy Baldwin, Leroy, the actor, will be in the studio with Darius as he records it, and they can talk about what the character is thinking. I mean, they really are the character together, you know. And then likewise, when we go to film it, Darius is on set talking with Leroy as his performance is going and talking about where the breath needs to happen and how to aspirate and how to make it look. It's it's a really amazing, beautiful connection. And I think it goes back to what you were saying. At the just to tie that is. It, you, it's effortless when you see it, but there's so much care and effort put into making it look effortless. And that's really across the board with everything with the show. And that's, we all care so much about getting those details right. Yeah. Speaking of, has there ever been a time when you get to set, you start filming and you realize, oh, oh this isn't working. <laughs> well, that actually happened when we were filming maybe Monica, you know, when oh, we got no. to when we got to set that day. We had recorded a certain way the song started and uh and you know because it was determined that he would walk up and be introduced and sing the song. But uh on set the director at the time and I think we, we Scott Ellis was like I really want to have this kind of presented in a way that he starts the song. So we had to do an edit on set where we cut the intro that we made the intro different than what we had. So that he could sort of conduct them in, and he had to he had to do it with an earwig. To his credit, he was an amazing performer. So he was hearing a click in his ear, and then he had to say his dialogue line, turn and conduct in time. Off stage, we're trying to call it exactly the right time, and then we had to very quickly give changes to all the musicians so their 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 what they played matched this new intro we had just written. So that you know that doesn't always happen, but that certainly can happen. And, and maybe Monica, that's exactly what did happen. And it's the advantage that. The, the joy that we get to actually be on set that, you know, a lot of songwriters will just drop off the song, 
um, and then say goodbye. And they're stuck with us. You know, they really want us to be a part of the whole process, both recording and on set to be able to make those kinds of last minute decisions and to make sure our ears are on everything. Yeah, it looks everything. You would never know that such work went into it on every level. You would know Isn't if it was sad. No, no, but I think you would know if if the details weren't there, you would yeah. feel it. Yeah. You would feel if yeah. this work wasn't done. It, yeah, it'd be great if everyone goes, "Oh my gosh, look at how much hard work they did." But we, we know, we know, and you can tell when it's wrong. But I've done so many shows, and songwriters are never on set. They never do what Tom and Curtis do. <laughs> I think it's we're so used to it. we're so used to being. You know, we come from the theater world, so we're so used to like, hey, do you need us to paint the set? We okay, give a, give me a paintbrush. You know what I mean? What do we need to do? I'll go plug that in. You know, you know, I'll hang some lights. You know, it's it's it is we're 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 collaborators, and I think that at the end of the day, that's what we love to do most is to be in the room with everybody doing everything they do best. You know, and to get back to the the point you guys were making earlier, like it's everybody uh, across the board is is raising the bar on the show. And although I can't tell you like why, you know, I think once I go to set, once I'm like, wait, why are we spending all this time just to film her? getting out of a cab and going into a bar with an overhead shot. I'm like, because that's what makes the show so great. I mean, there's so many elements that they spend so much time and effort really thinking about every camera angle. You know, I mean, we, of course, everyone in, in television is, is thinking about these things, but I think with, with the team that we, that, that we're all working with, everybody's such on the top of their game, trying really hard to make it that much better than they, you know, one step up, each, always challenging that, that the, the finished product is a really fun, entertaining show. You know what I mean? That feels, like Tom said, fully effortless. And every single thing gets approved by Amy and Dan, even if there's another director on. Yeah. Every single part of the show is looked at with a fine-tooth comb that nothing is going to go wrong. If, they're, if they see one little thing that's not right, it gets fixed. If there's one or two notes in their song that Amy's kind of like, well, can you fix this? She knows they'll go fix it. And it happens on set and it happens in recording suits, the recording studio. I can't speak today. <laughs> um, not like it's un not like unlike, okay. Um, <laughs> and everybody has eyes on everything. So it's really good to mention that Amy and it, it is a, it is a show that is entirely a singular vision or a dual vision. You know, it's the two of them. Everything flows down from them. And yeah. that is so much fun because they are so creative and so excited and raise the bar. Like Chris was saying, you know, just every time they're like, yeah, we've done that. Let's let's push it this far. Let's do this this time. And so you go for it. I know. I mean, we often get we get these calls from Amy and we look at each other and we're like, are we being punked? Does she really want, what What does she want us to do? Wait a minute. It's very funny. I sent a song over and I got a response going, this is the dumbest song I ever heard. Perfect. Let's use it. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm looking for dumb songs for season five. <laughs> but, you know. We'll write a dumb song for you. It's just funny. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, this being such a, a really top down, like lots of collaboration, but everything goes through Amy and Dan. Has Robin, has there ever been a time when they have requested a song or you have a perfect idea for a song to include in an episode that you didn't get the rights to? Once. Once. What's your white whale? One time, God, what was the song? 
It was um, in Joel's apartment. It was early on. And it was a, oh my God, I blocked it out of my head. Um, <laughs> start, not start, it was a, a, I can't think of the name of it and it's going to drive me crazy, but we're going to come back to this. But yes, um, there's been one time, I, there may have been another time that I just, there was, there were no rights. You, it was just impossible to get, but I've mm. found songs from errors from people. There was one person that um, was in a, in hospice who's oh, gotten wow. approval to us. Um, there was wow. a 90 year old era that I had to get approval on a song from. There was somebody that was a like an eight. He was a ninety-two-year-old. I'm not going to say the name because he, he's a musician and a jazz musician. And he, I found him, and he said, "Hi, honey. I'm in a shower. Can I call you back?" <laughs> and I said, "Yes, I'll call back." And then when I called back, he said, "You can use my song. Just come over with the check, and I'll sign the papers." And I'm thinking, hmm, "This isn't right. Something's a little wrong." And I actually found his publisher. I want to say it was Ray Anthony. <laughs> Robin, are you just hanging out at like old folks' homes? It's, and, it was it, but all this music. They're old. They're they're old now. You know, it's um, right. yeah, of course. But, yeah, I've had, but it, it's been very challenging. But I have to say, if if I say no, if if any, if you say no, like to me, if you say no to me, I want it more. Right. So if you say, if I say to Amy, I don't think I can get that she would just really want it more. So I don't say that because (laughs) it's a nightmare for me. Um, And the worst is when I pitch music, which has happened and I can't find part of the publishing. And I normally, I don't ever have time to pre-clear things when I'm pitching music. I'm just sending music and we're always on as fast time. And I'm just like, please, like, please, please, please let it be clearable. But the one song that we couldn't clear and we had a great one and and we all kind of liked it just as much. Amy still never forget, forgot that because she couldn't, get, Amy and Dan couldn't get it. So it's like, I still remember that. And I can't, I'm going to have to look up the song while we're all talking. And We'll have to play it at the rap party. Exactly. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> Matt um, would remember. <laughs> I was like crying. I can't get this. <laughs> oh, no, it's so frustrating. Oh, my oh, other. It was a German song, and it was something <laughs> having to do with. You are. You have opened up her wound. This is what's happening. <laughs> oh, no. Never gonna let. Okay, I'm so sorry for picking up the trauma. I hope you. I hope you're editing this. <laughs> <laughs> we will edit. Thank you. <laughs> um, my next question is also. Beer, Mr. Robin. Shane. Really, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get the recording approved. Oh. 
So you had to find another version. Well, the recording that they wanted, I couldn't get approved. Mm. That was season one. We would have done it. Yeah, we would have done a cover for you. It had something to do with. Curtis could have sung it. Yeah, he the the song itself and and the history <laughs> of the artist. Okay. Wow. Well, speaking of something that I assume there was not much problem with the history of the artist, one of my favorite things about the show in general are the the songs that take us into the end credits. They are sometimes just delightfully unexpected and of a completely different tone from all the rest of the uh, the music in the series. And I'm wondering, are those things that like, Dan say we want to go out on this thing like that's part of the script it feels like something that they would include in the in the script or how many of them come from your brain and also what was your favorite one from this season well those a lot of questions but I wish I could yeah. take credit for that and for, but I can't Amy and Dan choose every end song and they have in mind the song that they want to use I most of the time so many times I want to pitch music for the end and I just like, I can't, they, I know they have what they want there. They have a, Dan especially has a great, great musical sense. I mean, he's got five iPods of music. He's, he's brilliant. He's, what would you say? I mean, he's brilliant. Oh, he's, he's got the largest music collection ever. And they're constantly listening to between takes. They'll, they'll have their iPads on or, you know, I, they have actually, they have iPods and they'll be listening to old school iPods, you know, various uh, songs or various, you know, they have all categorized. And it's it's amazing to watch them. It just they're just trying to find the best, the right song. It's amazing. Amy had like I, she dropped like seven iPods onto a table the other day. Like, and they were marked like pop music A to C, pop, and country. You know, it was all this stuff. We're like, you have all this on iPods. What are you going to do? They're discontinued now. One Christmas, I don't know if it was Christmas, it was Christmas or the end of the season, I bought Dan a pink iPod. (laughs) Oh, that's great. He's he's got an amazing ear. I don't even know how to use an iPod anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I, I will say, and this is something that I would never have heard of this song, I think, in a million years, but how do I get to Carnegie Hall at the end of that finale episode is so perfect i know it's so good it's so good it's so good and and of course it's sparks which i didn't realize until i looked it up in preparation for this interview but like yeah of course of course i i guess my question is like was there is there ever a time when you see one of those and go like really that's the one Mm -hmm. we're gonna Mm -hmm. end on Mm -hmm. okay and they're always the best yeah. I'm like, really? And then I see, I'm like, yeah, really? <laughs> Trust the How process. How do I get to Carnegie exactly. Hall is amazing. That's one of those things where you're like, if God, if you didn't get the rights, what would you have done? Do you ever plan a backup or no? No. There was a really big song and I was trying to get it and I finally said to Amy, I don't have this. I I'm still waiting. There's all of this, whatever going on. And I was, I think we should find a backup. Nope. (laughs) That was our answer. Nope. Not finding a backup. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We got it, but it terrifies me. Right. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, I, the I, bathroom I, is you go into hiding. That's that's yeah. The I just like curl up in a ball and I'm just like, oh my god, her. what if I really can't get this? What am I going to do? Just pretend I did, you know? Do you ever contact any of the rights holders and they're immediately like, oh, for Mrs. Maisel, absolutely, just take whatever you want. Are they all, the all, all fans of the show? Music gets sent to me all of the time. Although one time somebody said to me, your show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, it's my favorite show. And here, please look at a playlist. And it was all like pop music from 1990. I was like, <laughs> really? <Interesting laughs> it was the weirdest choice. thing. And I, I was like, no, this isn't our show. But And a <laughs> lot of people say I have music that sounds just like it's from the era. I'm sorry, we don't use it. And I think we use maybe two library pieces a season you know, of, of not authentic music from the era. So when, you know, a lot of people have written songs and said, oh, I have a cover of this, or I've written a song just like that. No, unfortunately, can't help them. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you, except for a couple wrap-up things. Number one is, there any music choices you can spoil for us for the final season? No, but no. There, there's a lot of it, and it's ridiculous and amazing. Yes. If Season I five is going to not disappoint, it's <laughs> to put it mildly. We have been working really hard, and <laughs> if you thought we we hung up the phone and thought we were being punked before, the season <laughs> we were definitely like, you're kidding, Amy. Really? Okay. So, um, yeah, get ready. I can't wait, and I'm sure that most people can. Um, and finally, to end on a high note, I wanted to ask each of you if you could sing the best line from maybe Monica, baby made a baby a yes five times fast. <laughs> I can't done. sing. I won't do it. Nicely done. You just have to say it. It's just a tongue twister. Baby made a maybe a yes. 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 Yes. There you go. Do it, Robin. Do it once. Do it once. I can't. No, I can't even speak today. I'm kind of the nitpick. Thank you. Maybe Monica. For for talking with us and for playing along with the little game. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's awesome. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Dan Baer's interview with the Emmy-nominated music team behind The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Thomas Miser, Curtis Moore, who were nominated for the Emmy Award for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics, and Robert Erdang, who is nominated for the Emmy Award for Outstanding Music Supervision. You have been listening to the Next Best Series podcast, part of the Next Best Picture podcast umbrella, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next
Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 